Okay. Um, we uh, thanks for. Uh, first of all, I want to express my appreciation to all of you who um, participated in last week's time in the hearth room. Um, you know, we we are we are trying to do this on a quarterly basis or something like that with each of the uh, adult. ABFs because we think there's a lot of value in inter- interlocking with the younger people and you know um, all of us are getting older and um, you know that uh, the next this next generation is is uh, um, we need to develop them we need to cultivate them we need to grow them to become who they will become in uh, in the future and so um, I just appreciate your engagement with that and with them and how you guys interacted with them, so I want to give you kudos for that. Thank you. Okay, um, as we get started, a uh, couple things. We, we looked last week at the purposes and functions within the church and the distinctives of the church. And and uh, who, who can tell me um, uh, one of the five uh, uh, distinct, uh, uh, one of the five um, uh, functions within the church? Okay, instruction and teaching, a big one, yes. Uh, what's another one? Fellowship, absolutely. Fellowship, good. Fellowship. Somebody else besides Don. <laughs> ministry. ministry, absolutely. Serving one another. Ministry, right. Fourth one. Worship, yeah. Worship, yeah. Uh, worship would fall underneath, if you would, um, uh, fellowship uh, from the standpoint of how, how we put that together. Um, uh, what's another one? Organization, okay. What? So this is a key one. The last two are really key ones that really separate things to be a church, right? Worship would be a big one, right? Then, you know, some other entity. Uh, organization separates it because it's, it's, it's uh, a very different model for leadership, isn't it? Very different model. So organization, uh, the way in which we do church um, is very different than any other entity, okay? Uh, elders, plurality, um, deacons. Off, those those two offices, okay, and then ordinances, right? Um, the Lord's Supper, which we all uh, participated in last week, and then what else? Baptism, okay, baptism, good, 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 and then and then we started into a whole study around um, uh, Israel, and uh, wh- why did we even bring this study up? What what's in this? What why why did we talk about this? In the context of the church, to find out if there's entity, with God. Know. Okay, okay, and, and so what? What would be the two? What, what would be the options here that really are on the table? That I'll guarantee you, you go to, you know, many other churches, you you won't get clarity on this kind of thing. They just kind of it's all gooed together stuff, you know. What What are the options here that we're that we're trying to unbundle? That the church reported, this is just excellent. Good. So. The big question of the day, right, is because Israel rejected Christ when he was on earth, has Christ or God rejected Israel and therefore the church is his new plan and, and, and that's it. It's just the spiritual, it's the spiritual Israel. Is the church the spiritual Israel? That's the question, right? Does that make sense? I mean, does that, do you understand the question, right? I mean, that's the question on the, on the table, right? Is the church the spiritual Israel, so therefore there's really no other plan that God's going to do with Israel. All of his plans are going to be fulfilled in, quote, the church instead. And, and so we all said no, right? And we looked at this thing and we said, 
Israel always refers to physical descendants, right? We said that Scripture speaks uh, very clearly of completely separate entities and, exp- and talks about them separately. Men of Israel, the church, um, very differently. And, and, then, and then we looked at uh, last week um, uh, th- this, the fact that there's, a, a, uh, there's the, a parenthesis around the church. And the end of that parenthesis ends when? According to Romans 11, 25, and 26, and 27. The rapture. The rapture, right. So we said, we said, what has to, if in fact, uh, so, so that's the back end of, of, of the time period called the church, because why would that be the back end of it? All believers on earth are taken off the, off the world, out of the world, like that. So, obviously that's like, kind of like, you know, saying something's ending, <laughs> you know, okay? Uh, but, but, but then we found out what? That, that God's master plan for Israel... Did, did God make some fundamental, like, covenant, covenant commitments to Israel? Are they, were they commitments or covenants? And what's the difference? Did Israel participate in the covenant? In making it? No. Right, no. God made it. And he said, I will do this. So, Israel's... <clears throat> obedience or lack thereof has nothing to do with unconditional covenants. He says, I'm going to do these things. Has he done them? Has he done them as of right now? With Israel. They don't have land. They, they, their hearts aren't purified. Right? Uh, uh, they're not all together in one place. Uh, I mean, you just go down the line of all the pieces of, of the new covenant of the covenants that have been committed, um, and so by God unconditionally. So, so either God's a liar, okay, and we can't trust Him for the promises He has given to us. Why would we? Why would we in the church somehow be able to say that we're the new Israel and have full confidence in that 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 He's going to fulfill those things with us when we're unfaithful? Or maybe you're not. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So how can we say that 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 God's like put Israel on you know out the pasture and never going to come back to them and fulfill His unconditional covenants, irregardless of their unfaithfulness? I mean, remember the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament uh, uh, book of, uh, of of Gomer and um, I and um, uh, Hosea, and Hosea, um, she was a prostitute, you know, she prostituted herself, and, and he bought her back, you know, and loved her. This is the myth, this is the picture. This is the picture of what God's going to do with Israel. And he's going to buy her back. He's going to purchase her back, and, he, and he's going to redeem her back. And he's going to make them pure at the end of that, that tribulation period. For the, for the kingdom. So the big next question then, if that's going to happen at that time, okay, then this, time, this thing called the, the church is completely different. It ends with the return, with the rapture of the, uh, of the church. And uh, the next um, geographical timetable starts um, in what we call the tribulation period. And the tribulation period is then for what reasons? What are the two big levers that God's doing? Why the tribulation? 
Right. So his primacy of his focus is going to turn to rescuing and saving and redeeming and purifying his people, the Jews. Right. And what's the second big thing? Yeah, to, to begin a, an ever-increasing drumbeat of demonstrating his wrath upon the earth in such a way that he would hope to turn the hearts of others, <laughs> to be able to see this happening right in front of them. I mean, you can imagine, like, you know, you know uh, I don't know what the number's going to be, right? You know, a, a billion people, you know, are gone tomorrow. I mean, how do you start to, like, you know, uh, explain that one away? <laughs> Well, it's going to happen. They're going to say, well, those were the bad people. <laughs> they took the bad people. All the good people are left. You know, I mean, I, you can see, you can hear it coming, you know. I mean, it's like amazing, right? But it, it will happen that way. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so, so this, this thing starts at that time. So the next big question on the table, if we've started to segregate and clarify why Israel is different than the church, which I think everybody's starting to get, get see, that, see that, right? The next big question then is um, um, is is the kingdom, and so let's look at that. Um, so this one has to do with in relationship to the kingdom. This is the next uh, section in your in your handouts in relationship to the kingdom. So, what's the question we're trying to solve here regarding the church? What might that be? In other words, it, uh, might it have something to do with you know uh, the kingdom is at hand? You know, we are in the kingdom. We, we, we are in the kingdom. In other words, like, if if you go to many other churches, they'll say, you know, the kingdom began when Christ at at, at, the, at the beginning of the church. That's the that's when the kingdom began. Now it's a spiritual kingdom today, but you know what? There's going to be a physical kingdom in the future. This and we are we're in the kingdom. You know, right now. I mean, do you see that? I mean, you've heard that. Kingdom citizens, all this other, yeah. Everybody get heard that? Okay, so let's talk about that real quick. In relationship to the kingdom, why we why is the church distinct? Kingdom involves three things. First of all, what, it, what uh, by the very nature you have a kingdom, you have to have a ruler, a king. <laughs> a king. <laughs> okay, so help me understand on earth who's the king? Not on earth. So to have a kingdom, you have to have a king. Okay, the second thing you have to have is what? You have to. Somebody to rule. <laughs> so, who are the people that are being ruled? Is it Israel? Is it the church? Are believers? Where is that? You, you don't see that, do you? And, what, and the third one here is the territory over which they're ruled. <laughs> so, w- w- can I go out and like you know walk the boundary conditions of the of the of the of the, of the state or the you know geography that this king rules in? No. So, okay, so now you've piqued my interest to understand, well, what's going on then? You know, I mean, is there a difference uh, between the two? So let's talk about that. Okay, the forms of the kingdom. There are two, there are two kinds of kingdoms that, that, that do exist. One is called a universal kingdom. A universal kingdom. Universal kingdom is where God rules directly. And where, where, where do you think that might be then? Heaven. In the third heaven, he rules the entire what? Universe. Right? So, the universal kingdom exists exists throughout all times. Exists throughout all times. Turn with me to Lamentations. If you don't know where Lamentations is, it's right after Isaiah and Jeremiah. Uh, in between Jeremiah and, I think it's Ezekiel, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. 
So, Lamentations. Let's turn to Lamentations chapter 5. And uh, somebody want to read verse 19. Lamentations 5, verse 19. You, O Lord, rule forever. Okay? Your throne is from generation to generation, and you rule forever. So if this, if this universal kingdom um, exists, then God's always been, always is, and always will be on the throne. That's what forever means. Okay? So it exists throughout all times. Turn with me. Uh, you don't have it on your page there, but go ahead and write this one down too. Is Daniel. A couple books to your right. Daniel um, chapter 4. Daniel 4. Uh, would somebody read verses 34 and 35? Uh, the, the context here is Nebuchadnezzar when he like comes to his senses after he was chewing grass for a few years. Out in past, uh, he really was put out to pasture. <laughs> First vegetarian. <laughs> Daniel 4, 34 and 35. Somebody? Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Talk about difference between revealed truth and discovered truth. <laughs> Do you think for a second that maybe revelation truth came to Nebuchadnezzar? You know, he says, you know, his dominion, his kingdom is uh, for generation to generation, and it's an everlasting kingdom. And on, on top of that, let me tell you, God is absolutely sovereign. Everything that's in the in the heavens, everything that's on the earth, um, all are done according to His will, the way He wants it, and no one can stop that. No one can say to God, yeah, but. He's going to make whatever He wants occur. So He is the sovereign Lord of all the universe. So this is the universal kingdom that exists. Second is it, it includes all time and space. It includes all time and space. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 103. Psalms chapter 103. It includes all in time and space. Psalm 103, 19. Somebody's got that. Go ahead. Okay, so His throne in the third heaven, above all things, is over all things. It is sovereign in its totality. Uh, Psalm 139 Verses 7 through 10 says, um, Where can I f- go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in Hades, you're there also. If I take the wings of the dawn, the idea is at the speed of light, and go from, uh, from, from east to west, uh, you're there before I get there. Um, what an amazing... Um, uh, indictment uh, of of God's sovereignty upon upon all. Um, okay. Uh, next is it involves the divine control of history as we know it. His his universal kingdom d- uh, involves the divine control of history as we know it. Turn with me to Isaiah. Um, well, we'll skip Isaiah actually. No, let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah forty four, uh, verse twenty six. Um, just gives us some examples of God speaking. Uh, the way it's going to happen, actually dictating, so to speak, um, to um, uh, to, to uh, Israel what's going to happen to them. He says, verse 20, Isaiah 44, 26, he says, Confirming the word of his servant, 
performing the purpose of his messengers. It is I who say to Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and the cities of Judah, they shall be built. And I will raise up her ruins again. It is I who says to the depths of the sea, be dried up, and I will make your rivers uh, dry. Um, it is I who says to Cyrus, uh, the, the king of Persia, he's my shepherd. He's the one that I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to um, uh, determine uh, uh, what he's going to accomplish on this earth. I shepherd him. Um, he will perform um, all, all my desires. And he, de- and he declares to Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation will be laid. Which was amazing at this time, because he's like, hadn't been. So, he's like saying, I'm, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, this happen. This person who's the king of all kings on earth is, you know what, he's just, I'll, I'll explain to him what he's going to do, <laughs> is the idea. Follow me? Um, look, let's look at um, at uh, uh, the, the same chapter, uh, next chapter, verse forty-five. He says, verse five. He says, "I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God. Um, I will gird you, through, though you have not known me, uh, that men may f- know from the rising uh, to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness." causing well-being and calamity to occur. I am the Lord who does all these things. Amazing. Universal kingdom. Uh, one other comment uh, on the same one is Daniel chapter 2. Let's go back to that. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Uh, would somebody read verses 19 through 21? Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. It's there first. Go ahead. Bye. So it is God who determines the, the times, the periods, the seasons, the 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 the, uh, the, the waves of history, the, the habitations of the boundaries of those who dwell in it. Um, he is the one who establishes kings, puts them in place, determines the length of their days. He is the he is the sovereign Lord of all, and that's the universal kingdom. Okay. The next is the mediatorial kingdom. Mediatorial kingdom. Mediatorial kingdom says that God's rule, God rules uh, through a divinely chosen representative who acts and speaks for God, but also represents the people before God. So some examples of that were uh, Adam, Noah, um, Moses. Um, well, there's some examples of, 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 of how he worked through an individual on earth uh, to be his quote mediator to the people, makes sense. Joseph, yep, yep, Joseph, yep. Okay, so you see the difference between the the universal kingdom and the mediatorial kingdom. Mediatorial is is he's working through a person on earth, which is the next one, which is a, a rule which um, refers to being on earth, and the last one here, a rule which is uh, through a member of a human of the human race. Uh, 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 through a member of the human race. So, um, uh, we just talked about those people, but it's on earth and it's through a person, okay? That's that's a, what we call a mediatorial kingdom. So those are the two forms of kingdoms that 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 are, are out there that we need to kind of understand how do those uh, t- tie to what we're talking about. So those are the two that exist today. Um, there is coming another one, which is called the final mediator and kingdom. 
that will take place. Go ahead, Don. You're going to ask a question. No. Uh, no, because this is a this is a preordained person on Earth who who has authority in a ruler over a geographic period area to a people that we talked about before. Yeah. Um, so we are part of the universal kingdom, obviously, because God's sovereign, right? Okay. All right. So um, let's look at the next one. So the next one is uh, the final mediator and kingdom. Uh, the first point here is that Messiah will take the throne of his father David, and his kingdom will have no end. Luke chapter tw- chapter one. Let's turn there. Luke chapter one. This is the prophecy of of Jesus Christ that he would be the Messiah. Um, Luke chapter one verses thirty two and thirty three would. Um, why did you do thirty one too? Luke. Chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. Anybody? Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear all the Son of the Most High. Lord God will give him the throne. Okay. So obviously this is something that that uh, has yet to come in the future. It's a time where um, Messiah is going to be on the throne and um, he's going to um, assume the throne of his father David. Um, so... He's going to, um, once he does assume this throne, uh, which certainly hasn't happened yet, right? I mean, he hasn't sat on a throne yet. But when he does sit on a throne, he says he, uh, uh, his kingdom will have no end. So th- this is a, a physical, geographical rule of kingdom that he's going to sit on a throne, and it's going to be, there will be no end to that, to that from that time onward that he won't be on the throne. Okay? Uh, the next one here is that um, uh, it will be a future kingdom. It will be a future kingdom. Um, go back and look at the Second Samuel if you want uh, on your own. But it, uh, it talks about it being a, a time in the... It's going to be a future kingdom. And then nothing that's existed up till this point in time would fulfill what Second Samuel is talking about. It'll be a future kingdom. Next one is it's going to replace the kingdoms that are of this world. Um, that certainly has not taken place. Turn to Daniel, back to Daniel where we were. Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. You have that, Don? You want to read that? And in the days of these kings, out of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall not be left to other people, break in pieces and end forever. Okay. Absolutely. So there's the in this dream of Daniel's that Nebuchadnezzar was so pa- passionate about, of which Nebuchadnezzar was the first king of a global worldwide empire um, called the Babylon. Um, uh, Babylon was the first. What was the second? Medo-Persian. Third was Greece. Fourth was Rome. Rome is split really into two major components. Rome of yesterday, Rome of the future will be what Antichrist sets up in the forty in the in the 40th week of Daniel's 40 weeks that has not yet taken place and that then gets wiped out with this stone cut out from a mountain without hands in this in this dream and it just wipes out all of every all of the kingdoms as this kingdom that he wipes out, um, this new kingdom that he establishes in its place will never be destroyed. 
It's going to crush and put an end to all the other kingdoms. Never again will they exist. This kingdom will all be the only one that exists. This is a physical kingdom. Uh, it's on earth. It's physical reign, if you would. Um, but it's going to replace all the other kingdoms of this world. <clears throat> um, turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11 occurs um, in the timeline in the Great Tribulation in, in the third heaven. And as, as this occurs, it, uh, it's just towards the very end of the Tribulation period. Revelation chapter 11, turn, uh, look at me at, at verse 15. Uh, he says, um, The seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world... Uh, of the world is the kingdom of darkness. Uh, it's the kingdom of Antichrist. It's the second part of, of the Roman Empire that's established on earth that has full worldwide dominion in economic, in military strength, in political strength, in, in, in financial strength. has everything tied, in, tied together in Babylon. And he says, um, kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. So what a great um, pronouncement in the third heaven that it's begun. Now I'm going to execute this begunness <laughs> into the future. And, and from, this on, from this time on, it's really just making happen what God has foreordained and said will occur in his sovereignty. Okay? okay. Any questions? Yes? Because when both things are happening, hmm? it's first coming in. Correct. The when, how long had the Roman Empire? Oh, man. Uh, like hundreds of years? Yeah, a few hundred. Oh, okay. I, think, I forget exactly the timing. Yeah, because there's the Maccabees and before that. Yeah. Um, so, some key truths. Um, the church is not the kingdom. Church is not the kingdom. Hopefully, you've got that picture now. Church is not the kingdom. Very clear. Separate entities completely. So, the church is not Israel, right? Church is not the kingdom. Make sense? Got it? Okay, second is... Uh, the church will. It, the church exists in the present age. The kingdom is in a fu- is in the future, and it will be inaugurated or started uh, at the second coming or the return of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, like we looked at last week. Remember, we saw that when Christ comes again, that's when that's going to occur. Okay, so the 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 kingdom be, is be, is begun at that time. So it's a future thing. The the third thing here is that uh, the kingdom was promised to who. To Israel, not to who? Church or the Gentiles, correct. Okay, the, the kingdom was promised to Israel. Okay, and the last one here is um, the church was announced uh, by Jesus Christ in Matthew 6, um, Matthew sixteen eighteen. right? Remember when he was talking to Peter, he says, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, right? That was, if you go back and look at um, verse 4 of that same, that same uh, chapter, you see uh, when Israel rejected Christ. It got manifested in the, senior, in, in the, in the Sanhedrin and all the leadership of, the, of, of, of Israel later, but he had made a decision that this is done, and I'm going to start to execute this, uh, uh, his plan, which is the church, at, at that point in time. So the church had been, they had rejected him, and uh, his, his his desire to want to have the kingdom, you know, the way there, but but in fact it it was for a future time. Uh, um, 
accept him at that time. Any comments about that? Then it's a key truths makes sense. Big big polls. You know, get the picture, get the framework. Um, it's uh, that's how it happens. So let's take a look at the picture itself and talk through for a second how how that actually occurs here. Tell me, cell phone. <laughs> it's probably in the it's probably in the next room or something. In a drawer. In a drawer. It's all locked. Oh gosh. Um, so let's just talk through this uh, timeline so that you feel co- confident to be able to speak about it if you had to to somebody. Okay. So I want to talk about it in light. I'm not going to talk through the whole thing. I just want to talk about it in light of um, the church. Okay, that, that's our that's the context of our discussion. Okay, so a, cu- a couple things tied to here is the church begins where at Pentecost. Okay, uh, we see that the church age occurs from Pentecost to when the rapture. So the the second coming of Christ is cast in light of two different um, occurrences. Okay. One is called the rapture, and the second is called the return. And they're very, very different um, happenings. This one here, Christ comes down. He doesn't touch down to the ground at all. He comes down, and then he goes up with all those who are believers. It's at that same point in time that all those who have been believers as church saints during the church age who have died in Christ are raised in Christ and are a part of this rapture. So not only is it a rapture, but in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, it's also what? It's the first resurrection for all those who are, um, who, who are, who are church, church age believers, Jews and Gentiles. So what, we, what do we mean by um, a resurrection? Because where are they today? Well, their bodies are in the grave, but where are their souls? They're with the Lord. And if you remember, how did that happen? It's when Christ died, He went and brought the, the, the upper half of what we call Hades, which was in the ground, which is where believers, all believers are, with Him to the third heaven. So all believers are in the third heaven with God, with Christ, but they they they're they're disembodied spirits today. There, okay. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm surprised it's still got power. <laughs> they're trying to get a hold of you somehow. <laughs> um, does that make sense? So they're in the third heaven. So when he comes back again, um, those believers in the church age. Their physical bodies that are in the ground are going to be raised. He says Paul says in Corinthians, he says, raised from perishable to imperishable, from mortal to immortal. And so their, their eternal bodies, he takes their physical bodies that are in the grave or in the sea, and he puts it all back together again, and he translates them in a moment, in an atomic moment, into eternal bodies. And those eternal bodies are... are are glued together at, at this moment in time here. Um, and, and so we then, um, with those who have died before, 
go, uh, phys, uh, our, our eternal bodies are put to get back together again forever. Does that make sense? So that's what happens there. So then, we, where are we then during this time period here? We're in, we're in the third heaven. We're in the third heaven. So, so what's going to happen in the third heaven then? Uh, what's going to happen is, is that, um, is that uh, uh, a number of things are, are shown to us in the, in the Revelation, which I want to show, show you very quickly. Um, but Paul says in, sec, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the set, another thing that occurs up here in, in the third heaven is, is that all believers are judged for, their, for rewards. That, that not, not for condemnation, but literally as stewards of things God's given us, uh, have we been faithful to those ends and what rewards does he want to give to believers? So that's going to happen during this time period on earth. Is, it'll happen in the third heaven. Okay? Another thing that's going to happen in, in the third heaven uh, during that time, if you would, turn, turn with me to Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. So, so, so let me just walk you through in big chunks Revelation itself because it's a very easy book to understand if you get the big chunks. Okay? And one day I'll teach Revelation, the Revelation. Maybe I'll do it in the next time I'm through. But it's a, it's a fascinating book. It's, it's really, I mean, if you don't, again, the two ways to approach Revelation are pretty simple. Okay? Either you spiritualize and you symbolize everything. Okay? Or you read it as a literal book that says this is what's going to happen. We choose to do the latter. Okay? Simple. Uh, second is, um, in, in, the, in the book of the Revelation, um, uh, chapters, one, uh, chapters 1 and 2 and 3 really have to do with setting the stage and the things that happen that were happening and, and have happened in history as we know them today. So it's really talking about the things which have taken place. Okay? Chapter 4 and 5 um, are... Um, excuse me. Chapter 1 is about things that have taken place. Chapters 2 and 3 are about the present time when, when John was, was writing. Okay? And chapters 4 through the end of the book are all about what's going to take place in, the, in, in literally the future of John. Okay, so when you get to chapter four, look at chapter four and five. What you see is, is, is immediate. There's a big translate. Tra- there's a big difference between chapter end of chapter three and beginning of chapter four because he says, "And after these things, I looked." Every time you hear John say, "After these things, I looked," it means he sees a different re- revelation. In in the revelation, there's like five, four or five different revelations that he puts together in in order. Yeah. Jesus is talking about each one of these churches that, that, that are part of history as we know it up till, the, till this time. Uh, during this, this age called the church age, there's six, there's seven, there's seven churches that are manifested actually in time as we know it, have, have actually come, come true. One's called Ephesus, one's called Sardis. One, they're, they're called certain places, but they also talk about eight portions of ages that have occurred during this, this time called the church. Okay. Laodicea, you hear about that. that so, um, but when you get to here, uh, when you get to this point in time here, okay, chapters four and five are about what ha- what's happening in heaven during the tribulation period, and what you see is this this incredible picture of worship that's just like unbounded, unfettered worship about who God is and who Christ is, 
And in, and in chapter 5, look there, you see in verse 6, he says there's this, there's this uh, problem at the beginning of chapter 5, excuse me, that, that says that there's no one able to take this book and open its seals. And this book is literally the title deed to planet Earth. It was given to the adversary, and, and as we saw already, God's getting ready to take it back. He says, who can take and, and open this book, this title deed, to the earth and all that exists there. No one could do it. But then all of a sudden he saw standing by the throne a lamb as if slain who had seven horns and seven eyes and which are seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. This, this lamb is the lion of the tribe of Judah in verse 5. It's the root of David who has overcome. <laughs> so he's the one who can open the book. And he... By opening the book, it is literally his, him saying that I have overcome, I have redeemed all, I have fulfilled all that's been given to me, and I am rightly the one to inherit the kingdom. Follow me? And because of that, jubilation in, in, in all of heaven breaks, breaks out. I mean, you have the song, you have the song of the seraphim, you have the song of the four elders, you have the song of the redeemed who are standing around the throne, you have the song of the angels, and you have the song of all of you, the universe of uh, uh, praising God for the fact that He has finished this fantastic, unbelievable thing because Christ is ready to take the scroll. So that's how that that manifests itself in four and five. In chapter 6, literally through chapter 19, turn, to, turn there with me, um, through 18, excuse me, 6 through 18, it's, it's literally what's happening on earth right here in this, six and, in this, in this seven years period. It, it, it's, 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 it's what's happening on earth. There's bowls, there's trumpets, there's the wrath of God getting unbundled and given to mankind during that time period. Okay? And then, and then you get to the very end of this time, and you come to chapter 19. Turn there with me. And so, um, where's the church at this time? It's in heaven, right? And during this time period, in chapters 6 through, 9, through 18 of, of, Revel, of the Revelation, what we see is that people, there's this incredible um, martyrdom that takes place on the earth. And all these martyrs have, uh, die for Christ. And they all are brought into the third heaven. So we come to chapter 19, and he says, and after these things, so, so literally this is the climax of all eternity. Um, uh, we heard a great voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, because salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and righteous, and he has judged the great harlot. Who's the great harlot? It's the whole world system. It's, it's Antichrist. It's Satan's entire economy on earth. It's the entire thing that he gave to him in the, in the, in the fall, and he's going to now take back. It's been completely decimated in chapter 18. And he says, um, he says, uh, and, and he has avenged uh, the blood of his bondservants on her. And the second time they rise up in verse 3, say, Hallelujah, for the sm- their smoke rises forever and ever, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fall down and worship God who sits on the throne and say, Amen and Hallelujah. And then we see in verse 5, he says, And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God for all his bronze servants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I saw, as it were, a voice of a tremendous multitude and a sound of many waters, a mighty sound of peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah. Why? Because for the Lord our God, the Almighty, has it's, yours might say reigns. It says, has begun to reign. Has begun to reign. 
So not so back there in chapter six, we saw he's going to do this. It's time. Now it's like he's starting. <laughs> okay, and then you get to you get to verse seven, and what do you see? He says, "Let us rejoice and be glad." And give glory to him for what? The marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So the church is in heaven, the bride of Christ. And at this point in time, just before the end of this tribulation period, after having given the rewards out, what you see is what? You see that the marriage of the Lamb has come. And so literally the marriage is... Jesus Christ uh, uh, is fully united with his bride, never to be separated again. The church. Okay? And how do we know that? He says, like here, um, and it was given to her to, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he goes in verse 9 and says, This is the wedding that occurred, but the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is the celebration of the marriage, is going to occur where? On earth. Look at that. Verse, verse, verse 9, he says, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said to me, these are true words. When we, when we tie this back, we don't have the time here, to the Gospels, um, he talks about the fact that there's going to be in the kingdom this marriage supper of the Lamb on earth. So this is happening in heaven, the wedding ceremony, but the actual marriage, I mean, the actual uh, celebration of that is going to happen on earth. What well, can't happen until the kingdom starts. And so what happens next in the, in the text is that, it's that literally says, uh, Jesus Christ, the faithful and the true, in verse 11, judges and wages war, and, and we come with him, uh, and he decimates all of Antichrist on earth. And how we know we come with him is because we were just now finished being, quote, dressed in fine linen, bright and clean, right? Okay, And who's coming with him in verse 14? He has a robe dipped in blood in verse 13. He's called the Word of God. He has a name upon himself experientially that no one else knows. But in verse 14, the armies that are in heaven clothed in fine and white linen and white and clean are following him on white horses. So they come with him. Remember the return of the king and the hobbit? And you look out in the movie to the eastern sky and, and, and the light breaks the eastern sky and who's on, you know, what, you know, there's a white horse there, you know. I mean, the symbolism is so it, it was was tied to this time right here is that he's coming to save and and, and so he, he he wipes them all out talked about last week the, the 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 blood to the horse's bridle for 200 miles but he takes 75 days from this point in time after taking him out to set up his kingdom and who's going to be in the kingdom it's going to be those who followed him on white horses and those who who who, who believe in him still on planet earth who, who is the vast majority of those people, as we said? Jews. The Israel. On earth, right? Because remember we said the Jews are the ones who he's going to purify by the end of the of the time period, right? So those are the ones that are going to go into the kingdom. Here. No, I don't think so. No. Um, well, during the thousand years, which is the next question you just asked, which is now everybody's here on earth. Okay, Christ is on earth. Yep. He sets up his kingdom. Uh, not the people that have gone. No. Well, there's there's two judgments that take place for non-believers. One is for those people that are literally on earth and alive at the end of the time of the tribulation period. He, he, he judges them then. So only the people that are believers in Christ and those who are, have eternal mortal bodies that are believers go through the kingdom 
age. Okay? And at the end of the kingdom here, what you have is Satan is he's bound during this time period and left free at the end of this time period to resonate with all those who have born and lived through the, through the kingdom age who, who may not be believers even though Christ is reigning on earth. And so then he literally will judge them at that time. That's the second, that's the second resurrection of the unsaved of all, but all of ages. They, they're, in, they're in a place called Hades. They are given immortal bodies here and summoned. Their bodies are summoned from, from the sea, from the grave. Their souls are summoned from Hades. And they're put back together again and, and they stand before the judgment. Now, one minute after you die. Which really, to your point earlier about the institute, about all the things we're talking about. I mean, you know, if we really believe these things, I mean, are we, we have the burden. I think they have people. Yeah. I don't know. I well, still and you still pray for him, and God's spirit is alive. And I, I saw unbelievable stories. I, if, if I had just a chance to talk to you guys, uh, it'd take the whole time about how God is at work here and now in all over the world, in Muslim nations, all over, calling people to Christ. It's unbelievable that's happening. And, uh, you know, so praise the Lord. We don't have time. I wish I could finish a couple more things here, but but the church, the church then from here goes on. You know, it goes on, and uh, he, he creates a new heavens and new earth, and he blows and obliterates everything that's here today, and we are forever with the Lord, never again to to, to be. What a fantastic what is that promise! Point where he said, what, "What is the purpose of resonating with the ones that?" Yeah. I mean, is it just to put them to the test? No, there's two. The well, it's, it's two reasons. One is. Um, First of all, the, 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 the millennial kingdom on earth is the most perfect place there is. And so literally, Satan's not even there. His, all his demons are with him in the, in a, in the abyss. And, and what that's meant to do is to say and show people that irregardless of the adversary, and because of the fall, man's heart is still not going to be forgotten. This is like to solidify this once and for all, to say, look, you know, yeah, he he adds a lot to the party here, but because of the fall, you have a natural heart that's inclined to sin, and it's going to be resonate. He's going to resonate that that inclination. That's that's the curse, and and because of that, he's going to bring. He's going to. He, there's going to be a whole host of people that say, I I was only doing this because I had to, not because I wanted to. Not not for those who don't know Christ. Oh, I know, but you can. Accept. During this time here, if they no, were born. Oh, in here, yes. So there's yes. a if you haven't died, oh, yeah, yes. You don't get it then. But but <laughs> seven eighths, seven eighths, uh, seven eight, seven eighths of all those who are left here after the rapture, let's say seven billion people, seven eighths of that seven billion, billion of it, right? Or, depends if you don't know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, you're going to go to Hades. Don't know the Lord, then you're going to go to Hades. You'll be in this line here that will have a second part of the second resurrection. Tremendous evangelism. Huge evangelism. Yep. Also, oh, it, uh, all, almost all those who come to Christ during that time, I'd say almost all, will will be martyred for their faith. Almost all, not a not a not an easy martyrdom either. It'll be very 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 challenging. Well, let's close in prayer if we could. Father, you know our hearts. You know that we are beginning uh, to understand the times and that uh, we understand the difference between the church in Israel and the church in your kingdom that has yet to come. Uh, we understand that you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords and that we are not. 
And I pray that we would forever be indebted to your service. May, may our hearts resonate with you uh, this week uh, to be all that we can for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.